Hello and welcome to the Analytics FC podcast. I'm John McKenzie, Head of Content, and this week I spoke to Kim McCauley, Director of Analytics at Angel City Football Club. Starting off working in the media, Kim has spent the last year or so setting up an analytics department at one of the newest clubs in the world. In our chat, we talk about implementing a data strategy from scratch at a club that has no players, working towards an NWSL and NCAA expansion draft, and how the capacity to be able to make mistakes is important for the implementation process. Here's what Kim had to say. Kim, hello, and thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I always begin these interviews with a biographical question to help the listeners contextualize your career. So could you give us a bit of a brief overview of how you ended up as the director of analytics at Angel City? Yeah, so before this, I was in media. I was a a journalist for about 12 years, and I really didn't start doing analytical stuff. I was always interested in data and analytics, but I'm sure, you know, you know, and your listeners know this, the state of at least public work in analytics at that time was not great. There just wasn't a lot out there. But I guess my career in media kind of mirrored the development of analytics in football, at least in the in the public space. It kind of happened over the the same period of time. And I was lucky in in that respect that I got to follow it, that I got to follow the start of Opta releasing public work of StatsBomb and then eventually, you know, a lot of other companies that have popped up since. And as more and more public work was available and was out there, I got really interested in it and started to to learn more about the space, to write more about the space. And eventually the available data for women's football started to catch up around 2018 or so. We started to see decent available data for women's football and uh, people being able to create public work about women's football. And that led to people in the game, I guess, noticing my work and recommending me for roles at clubs and uh, eventually ended up interviewing with Angel City and deciding to make the the pivot from media to working for a club. It's so interesting hearing you talking about working in the media before making that step, because obviously there's a lot of overlap between the two. And we've just seen Tom Warville move from the Athletic to RB Leipzig in Germany. So maybe a good starting point for discussion is what impact do you think working in the media has had on the way that you approach your work in analytics now? I think the biggest thing is that I'm prepared for scrutiny. Having started doing it with media and over a pretty long period of time and starting from a point of not really knowing what I was doing, which I mean, everybody does. That's kind of the nature of learning anything. But I think it was really important to me that I started doing work in public that was bad and that people could see that it was bad and give me constructive criticism so I could get better. And I think it was really important that the company that I work for, SB Nation, is very community-oriented, has a very active comment section, and I'm pretty active on Twitter and get quite a bit of engagement in my replies. And I think those two things were actually really important that I got quite a bit of feedback and had to learn how to get better, how to, how to write better, how to think better. Because obviously, you know, that stuff can be pretty toxic. There can be a lot of very rude people who, you know, call you names. But in that sea of, of that stuff, there are always going to be a couple of really smart, really nice people giving you really good constructive criticism. And years of that, I think, have kind of shaped my brain in a way that like, 
now that I'm only presenting stuff internally to five people, I still have the mindset of, I might get a lot of criticism for this. And I think that that's made me be more careful and really have to, you know, double, triple check everything. Always question, does this make sense? Am I going to get criticized for this? It can be really toxic, obviously, but I think it can also be really helpful. A lot of our listeners will be early in their careers and will be thinking about making their way into the football analysis industry. On the basis of your own career pathway, what advice would you give for people looking to make that step? Well, I think my career pathway is not a normal one and not one that can be easily followed, but I do have a lot of thoughts about this. First one is, I'm sure everyone's heard learn how to code a million times, but you've got to learn some stuff. You've got to pick up some skill sets. And there are a million resources out there for learning Python, learning R, learning SQL, learning some data visualization tools like Tableau or Power BI. And you don't necessarily need a degree in a math or engineering field. Obviously, it helps. That's a very nice thing to have in your resume and good skills to have. I don't personally have them. I don't have a degree in a, in a math or engineering field, but you don't need that to learn this stuff. There are books, there are cheap boot camps, there are YouTube videos. You can learn how to do all of this stuff for $100 or less, honestly. You could probably get books at a half-price bookstore, used bookstore for $5 and watch YouTube tutorials and learn how to do all this stuff cheap. So... I would definitely recommend taking the time to learn how to do that stuff. Second thing is, and this also seems obvious, but you would be surprised at how many people don't do this. Watch a lot of games. Talk to people about games. This is honestly more important to me in my work than the math and programming stuff, because I have to be able to sell my ideas to our sporting director and to our coaching staff. And I could have incredible groundbreaking work with beautiful visualizations, but if I can't relate it to the game as they understand it, it's completely useless. And I think the most important thing in getting my ideas or getting my work across to the people that I work with is that I've watched as many as many football matches as they have, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about writing about the game in non-analytical, non-data context, and that helps me find ways to relate the work that I'm doing to what they're doing, to the way they see the game, so that they can understand it. So if you can't relate to how your sporting director or how your coaching staff thinks about football, it really doesn't matter how good your work is. The last thing that I would say is really important is put your work out in public. If you are Currently in school, I think that could mean submitting papers to conferences like Sloan, Nessus, Statsbomb, or if you're not doing that kind of work, or even if you are, doing something like starting a blog or doing freelance pitches to media outlets and getting yourself out there. A, so people see your work, and B, so you can get constructive criticism on your work and get better. Honestly, I think it's the best way to to get better and learn stuff is to put work out there in the world. And maybe it's not very good, but that's fine. Because if it's not very good and people tell you why it's not very good, you're going to learn stuff. You're going to get better. And I think that's really the only way to get better at this stuff, to get criticism. 
I want to spend the majority of our time talking about Angel City FC. Angel City is one of the newest professional clubs in the world. So for those people who don't know the backstory, could you just give us a brief introduction to how it came into existence? Yeah, I think our founders first started getting interested in women's soccer at the 2015 World Cup, but probably weren't ready to start a team at that point. It wasn't really in their head. But I think the kind of the backstory is that they started thinking about it and started making those relationships with people in soccer through uh, Time's Up, which is a nonprofit organization that supports victims of sexual harassment. And then between that and the success of the 2019 World Cup, our founders started looking at NWSL and saw that two things really. One, that there was enough interest there and enough good things there that there was a viable business to be created. And two, that there was also a lot that needed changing, that they really wanted to change about the league, about women's soccer, and about trying to raise the standards to get towards pay equity with men's soccer, and but also just the conditions, the basic levels of professionalism. So our founders, Julie Ehrman, who is our CEO, Karen Ortman, who is a venture capitalist, a businesswoman across a bunch of different fields, and Natalie Portman, who, you know, famous Hollywood actress, got together to to form the team and recruited a huge team of investors, some of them business people who aren't terribly public facing, but more famously, we have, I don't know what it is now, probably 100 celebrity and athlete investors that's been going on for like two years now. And now it's time to actually put a team on the field. I've already mentioned that your job title is Director of Analytics. So could you just explain what your role at the club is specifically? So far, my, my biggest role has been supporting our sporting director in recruitment, building databases, analyzing players, doing that kind of work to assist in our recruitment of our team. I'm going to be continuing to do that even as we get into our, our season. Obviously, recruitment never stops for professional clubs. But now that we've gotten past the drafts, the first off season built our initial team, I'll be doing a little more supporting our coaching staff with analyzing our our performances and opposition analysis as well. I've spoken to a lot of people on this podcast about the challenges of implementing new data structures within old clubs. And obviously the difficulty that arises there is that old clubs just simply haven't been evolved with an eye to future developments in tech. Obviously the experience for you has been the other way around, that you're implementing a data system from the start. So what was that experience like for you implementing a data system at Angel City from scratch? It was interesting because it was... Just me at the start without a sporting director or a coach to build it in conjunction with. I was hired about six months before we interviewed our sporting director, Ania Luco, and I think I'd been on for nine months when her first day came around. So that was kind of an interesting challenge in that I was building it out without input from somebody with a more traditional football background about you know, how they were going to approach recruitment, what they were looking for. So when she came in, obviously, some of the work that I'd done, she was like, this is great. Like, this is exactly the kind of thing I, you know, wish I had in my previous job or that I was looking for. And there were other aspects of what I was doing. Where she was like, this doesn't really make sense to me. Or she had needs for analysis of players that I hadn't considered. So I think that was kind of the biggest challenge is that I was doing it myself <laughs> um, <laughs> without anybody else telling me what they were looking for at first. But it's been a really interesting and fun six months since then, kind of trying to 
adapt our databases to what our sporting director and coach need and what they're looking for in players. You've already sort of touched on this question, but one of the oft-repeated mantras in football analytics is it's not about the quality of the analysis that matters all the time, but often the level of the buy-in that the club is willing to undergo is the, the limiting factor in these things. So have you found that to be true in your work with Angel City? I think that is true, but I also think that when data people say things like this, they're kind of putting all of the onus on other people in the club to understand them or to trust them and like none on themselves to present it in a way that makes sense to other people at the club. I kind of touched on this earlier when I was talking about you've got to watch a lot of games in addition to the data work to be able to translate things or, you know, just kind of speak the language of other people at the club. If you're working at a club doing anything with data and analytics and you're not getting buy-in from your sporting director, you're not getting buy-in from your coaching staff, I feel like you should probably think about the way that you are presenting your work because that's probably the bigger problem than your coworkers being hard-headed or, you know, not believing in analytics. I think you have to make them believe in analytics. And if you're good at what you do, you have the tools at your disposal to figure out how to do that. Expanding on this, obviously, when you're implementing a data system within a club from scratch as you are, you have the possibility to implement data systems across the club at every level. So I wondered if this has been a pervasive project for you or has your work been mainly focused in specific areas at the club? Right now, it's specifically on recruitment because, I mean, we haven't even had a preseason training session yet. I think that there are going to be a lot of other things that we, that, we use, that we use data for, obviously, besides player recruitment. But we're kind of in the very, very early stages of figuring out exactly how those processes are going to work. Things like relate event data to players' medical data and see, like, based on their recent, like, load or their recent injuries, like how much does that cause their performance to, to drop, if at all? We're not there yet because we haven't trained yet. It's still going to be another two to three weeks from when we're recording this to when our players are going to train for the first time. And then obviously, we're even farther off playing games. So that stuff is still very much up in the air yet to come. But obviously, we have plans for doing those things. Maybe a bigger picture question at this point in terms of the state of play for data analytics in the NWSL. Do you think that your project is an outlier compared to other clubs in the league? It definitely is at the moment. Before I came to Angel City, I interviewed with two other clubs. I'm not going to say who they are, but their coaches had requested a role like mine to their, their ownership and suggested that their ownership interview me. And in both cases, I interviewed with the principal owner and they got back to me and basically said, hey, I thought this interview went went well. We really like you, but we've decided we don't have the budget for this role right now. And you know maybe we'll get back to you in a year or two. As far as I know, anybody else doing work similar to mine at other clubs, it's an assistant coach that has some decent knowledge of data platforms, or it's somebody on the business side who also doubles as help for the technical staff, something like that. To my knowledge, there is nobody else with a, a role similar to mine in an NWSL. And I believe there is one GM in the league that has a significant analytics background. 
You've mentioned before that you've gone through an expansion draft process, which I think will be confusing for a lot of people who aren't used (laughs) to the concept of an expansion draft. But as I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but Angel City and San Diego Wave are two expansion teams in the NWSL this time around. And they had the chance to select players from existing teams in the league. This is obviously a fairly unique reality in world football. So I'm interested in your thoughts on how working towards a draft changes the way that you would approach the analytic process, particularly given that many of the people listening won't have experienced that and won't have any understanding of how the different context makes the analytic process different in that sense. It really meant that we had to cast a really wide net and we we couldn't do very focused, targeted recruiting because there was another draft two days after that, the college draft. And in both cases, we did not have the list of available players for selection until one week before the draft, which meant that basically we had to look at everybody. So the way it works is every team has a protected list. They had nine players that they were allowed to say, you are not allowed to select these players. And we could figure out for each team, five or six of the players that we knew 100% would be protected. But Otherwise, we had to do a lot of scouting and data analysis on players that we thought there was no chance of us ever having any opportunity to select, which, you know, is kind of an annoying thing to get through like a mental barrier of like, we're doing a lot of work on players that at no point will we ever have any chance to sign. But it was the reality of the situation. If we wanted to have thorough work, thorough data analysis and scouting reports on players that we were going to select, we had to do it for for everyone. And especially in the case of the college draft, it was it was really tough because we didn't even know the pool. At least with the NWL expansion draft, we we knew, you know, okay, here is the pool of 240 or so players that could potentially be available with college because of COVID. College players have an extra year of eligibility that they can elect to take or not take because they had a a season canceled during COVID. This means that we basically just have to guess isn't the right word because we didn't guess. We evaluated every single player who was potentially eligible, who would be in the college draft in a normal non-COVID situation. And then 50 of them decided to take the extra COVID year in college and not turn professional and then weren't available in the draft. So we had, you know, evaluations on a pretty high number of players who ended up not declaring for the college draft. So not the best system, I have to say. I hope that the league has kind of learned from this and will decide to do things differently in the near future. But yeah, it was it was very challenging. What's the data provision like for players who are playing, obviously, college football in particular, I suppose? Is that a bit of a black hole in terms of the data that's available for you? Is a lot of that just video scouting? No, it's actually not bad. Instat is the data provider that has extensive college data, and they have basically like a tape sharing agreement with the NCAA and all of the schools where basically every program at a certain level is required to upload their tape to Instat. So it's a place where obviously all coaches and NWSL teams can watch the games, but it also means that every NCAA Division I game that's played at a decent level has their tape analyzed and has inset data. I'm hesitant to ask this question because, as you've made it very clear, it's such early days for Angel City. I mean, the club itself is barely a year and a half old, and and as you said, you've not even had your first training session yet. So I'm interested in whether or not you're already seeing the benefits from your work or whether or not it's just too early to say at this point. 
I think it is too early to say before we've played any games, but if you look at the history of NWSL expansion teams, they've universally been poor in their first season. And I'm not going to make any wild predictions about the future of Angel City, you know, making the playoffs or winning trophies, but I'm feeling good about us being better than previous expansion teams. And I'll also say that I really hope that people end up seeing what we what we do, how we built a squad in year one and start asking questions about how did they do better than other expansion teams. In terms of comparing yourself against other expansion teams, do you have any KPIs already set out that you're going to match your data against to see how you're doing against those other teams? Uh, I don't. And the reason I don't is because the data for women's football isn't very good. Going back to earlier days in the NWSL, I'd say 2019, honestly, is probably the first year that data collection was really good and reliable and done by multiple platforms. (laughs) So, I mean, really, all we have is wins, losses, goal differential, (laughs) unfortunately. So how will you assess that then, the improvement on previous expansion teams? Are you simply just going to do it off the basic data then? When it comes to comparing to previous expansion teams, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, we will be more sophisticated in our comparisons to current teams. Sure. If you could go back and do anything differently in your implementation process, what would it be? And what would you say that you've learned about analytics in football from the process of, of setting up an analytics department at Angel City? You know, I don't really believe in saying, like, oh, I do this differently, because I think making mistakes is how you is how you learn, is how you get better. So I wouldn't want to do over, especially because I was lucky enough to get the long runway where I was here for nine months before our sporting director was. It meant that my mistakes didn't have consequences and they were just learning opportunities for me. As far as what I've learned, I think the the biggest thing is that the differences between what's available on the different platforms and the lack of consistency of data across women's football it makes it much, much harder to compare players across different leagues than I thought it was going to be going into this. Because before I started this job, I didn't have access to the full data sets from all of the different event data companies. You know, I had SB Nation had a partnership with Stats bomb, but you know there were only like a certain number of of leagues that I was able to to access, and then there were you know the occasional free data sets that would get released by by other companies or things that are publicly accessible to anybody. But I didn't have the full data set, so I didn't I didn't know before I started how difficult it was going to be to make those comparisons, and that's still something I'm trying to figure out how to do every day. And it's not something, I don't think there's like a, a, a solution, a magic bullet. You just have to get a little bit closer all the time. I always like to end these interviews with maybe a more future facing question. So do you think that the way that Angel City has approached the analytics process will have a wider impact within the NWSL? And do you feel any responsibility towards improving the, the analytics process within NWSL as well? I do feel a responsibility towards it, especially because... The current state of analytics in NWSL is basically nothing. It's non-existent. And I think it's interesting that I was the first person hired in a role like this because I'm not an engineer. I'm what I guess is called regularly called in the space a data translator. I'm somebody who understands event data and understands the different platforms and can take what is available and translate it to something that makes sense 
to a sporting director or a coach who has a traditional football background and doesn't know anything about analytics. To me, it's strange that the first person in one of these roles is someone with that skill set rather than somebody with a traditional data background, with an engineering background. And really, I, I think that's the next step. I know that doesn't that doesn't really answer the question, but that's kind of what the the thought I had is I hope that people look at us and say like, okay, they did something good and that really helped them, but how can we do it better? How can we do it more extensive? What are the biggest men's clubs in the world doing and how do we take that and translate it to, to women's football? Because right now those clubs, they're not even doing the stuff on their on the women's side of their teams. Like a lot of times their their women's teams are operating almost just completely independently with just financial support, but they're not getting like the support from their their analytics departments. They're not taking what they're doing on the men's side and doing it on the women's side as well. Um, and I really hope that teams, not just in NWSL, but across the world, like start to see the value in that. Well, Kim, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for coming on and good luck as you go into the new season. Yeah, thank you very much. So that was Kim McCauley, Director of Analytics at Angel City Football Club. You can follow her on Twitter at LGBTQFC and Angel City at We Are Angel City. We'll be back next month with another interesting guest, but until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it, and check out all the content that is going out from Analytics FC on our Twitter account, at Analytics FC. Goodbye. <laughs>